as well, getting ready for our next series um, that will start in, in January. But um, we're in Acts this morning, so please turn with me to Acts, and we're going to start out in Acts 22. Acts 22. Appreciate that. Um, singing about our God, and, and uh, Brendan mentioned that first song, his favorite line was where it talks about how God fights for us. I think my favorite was, up from the ashes, hope will arise. Acts 22. Let me pray. Lord, will I stand up here in front, stand in front of me so they see you rather than me? And Lord, will I talk, talk over me so they hear you rather than me? Amen. Question. What are you going through right now? What have you been going through? What are you going through? This has been a season where the studies, all the studies show that mental illness and all manner of psychological problems have, have really spiked. I don't know if that's true here or maybe that's not true here. What are you going through right now? It might be a season where your parents have not been getting along. And you might feel terribly, utterly alone. It might be that you're one of the parents that's not getting along. And your marriage is difficult. Difficult probably isn't a strong enough word. Your marriage is ugly. It's hard. It's just grinding. And you feel incredibly alone in your marriage. What are you going through? Might be that it's not that your marriage is, is rough, it's that you're worried about your kids. Maybe one kid in particular. It's amazing how you can feel alone as you, as you worry about your kids. What are you going through? One of the things we can be going through is we can feel, we can feel alone because of the circumstances that we're in. We can also, during a season like this, we can wonder, what is the plan? What is the plan? Where are we going? Uh, there's a lot of reasons to wonder about that. It's not so much what are you going through, but what are we all going through? As we think of the virus and, and all the fun that's been. Or as we think of this election and all the fun that's been leading up to it. Anybody ready for political ads to be over? Wow. 
The economy, where is that going? But we could also bring this down to a more personal level for, for a lot of us that are, that are students or, or we have students in our lives who are asking, will there be school next week? Will there? I mean, I hope there is, but will there? Will there be sports next week? When will the arts be able to open, open back up? What are you going through? You ever wonder if there's a plan? And you and I, we could go through almost anything if we have a strong enough why. If we have a strong enough reason that, okay, I know why we're doing this, I know where it's going, but do you ever wonder why? Why are we going through this? What is the bigger purpose here? This morning, my goal, what I hope to do, is give you a strong dose of courage. More specific than that, I hope to give you a strong dose of gospel courage. The gospel is the good news about what God has done and is doing in the world. I hope to give you a strong dose of gospel courage that will, incur, that will include purpose, that will include plan, and that will include his presence. As you think about what you're going through, I think it's really helpful that you know that's where we're going. We're going to talk about what you're going through as we look at what the Apostle Paul was going through. So power comes from context. And so to really get the context here of what the Apostle Paul was going through, we need a little bit of backstory. The Apostle Paul was worshiping in the temple. He is kind of there on a peacemaking mission trying to make peace with um, the, the Jerusalem believers. And so he was sacrificing and purifying himself and paying for other people to have sacrifices and paying for their vows. He's, he's trying to make peace, and he's in the temple. And some, some people recognize him that knew him from Asia. Asia Minor, Turkey. And, and they see Trophimus, the Ephesian, they saw him earlier, so they assume Paul has... Trophimus with him in the temple, and, and they're angry, and so they start a riot. And they drag Paul out of the temple, and they try to beat him to death there in the street on the spot. I've never had anyone try to beat me to death there in the street on the spot. I don't, I don't know about you, but that sounds like a particularly bad day. So they, they grab him, they drag him, it's this big angry, angry mob, they're trying to beat him to death, there on the street, in the spot. And the Romans, from the fortress Antonia, we think, saw this, they come down, and the people are like, oh, well, I wasn't really beating him, you know, it was like, the Romans grab him, they take him up to the fortress, then they get stirred back up, and they're trying to kill him again, and the Romans have to pick him up and carry him, it might have looked like he was crowd surfing. And they, they pick him up and they carry him up to the fortress of Antonia. They sit him down. They're about to bring him in. And Paul says in Greek to the Roman in charge, he says, Hey, could I speak to them for a minute? I think I can calm them down. Not really. He says, Could I talk to them a minute? And he says, You speak Greek? And Paul says, Yeah, I'm a Jew. And um, from Cilicia. 
So he lets them talk to them. So Paul shares the gospel with them and talks about how they rejected it. And so Jesus sent him to the Gentiles. And when he mentions that Jesus sent him to the Gentiles, the crowd gets really, really amped up again, like trying to kill him again. And so here's a picture of Gustav Dorr. He, he shows this, and um, there's Paul trying to speak to the people who are really, really mad at him, who have just tried to, tried to kill him. And you see there in the background, that's probably the temple is what Gustav, um, as they're on the fortress Antonia, and that's probably the temple in the background. This is where this, this narrative will take place. We'll pick it up here uh, on the steps of the fortress Antonia. But this is where this narrative that I'll read uh, will take place. It will take place between Caesarea and Jerusalem. He'll go from Jerusalem to Caesarea as, as we're reading. Um, this is the larger map of the Apostle Paul being sent to Rome. This will uh, help us finish out. This map is what will follow through Acts 28 as Paul ends up going to Rome. A uh, little bit more of a close-up here. You have Jerusalem down there in the south, and we'll see him move up to Caesarea in the north under guard. So let's read this. As, as you think about what you're going through, we try to give you courage, gospel courage, for what you're going through. Let's read this together. I'm in uh, Acts chapter 22, verse 22. Up to this word, they listened to him when he's giving his testimony, when he's telling them his story about Jesus. They listened to him. And then he mentions the Gentiles. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging. You know, like, well, we're going to get the truth out of him. Tie him down. We're going we're gonna to flog him. To find out what they were shouting against him like this. Like, tell us why they're so mad at you. First he tries asking the crowds. They, one of them shouts one thing. One of them shouts another. You can't question crowds. So he's like, okay, we're going to beat this guy till he tells us what's really going on. Verse 25. When they had stretched him out for the whips... Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. And the tribune came to him and said, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, Yes. And the tribune answered, I bought my citizenship for a large sum. And Paul said, I am a citizen by birth. So, so those who are about to... Ex you know, I, have in my, I, I put in my Bible quotes around examine. Those who were about to examine him by flogging withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune was also afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. Remember that binding? What's that a fulfillment of? Prophecy. Yeah, who's prophecy? Anybody remember? Agabus. Thank you. Acts 21.11. Verse 30. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and the council to meet. And he brought Paul down and set him before them. So, in order to find out why they're so angry with Paul, first they question the crowd. That doesn't work. Then they threaten to flog Paul. That doesn't work because he's a Roman citizen, so they can't. Now, they're going to call the Jewish religious elite, get them together, and, and he's going to say, okay, let's figure this out. Verse 23, I'm sorry, chapter 23, verse 1. 
And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers. I don't know if you write in your Bible or not, but you could write in your Bible next to that, chapter 22, verse 1. We'll come back to that in a little bit. Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest, Ananias, commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth, hit him. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law, and yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? And those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was a high priest. For it is written, you should not speak evil of the ruler of your people. One of the questions we have is, how did Paul not know this was the high priest? The best answer I read is that it's because Paul's eyesight was really, really bad. And you know that from some of his letters, where he says, you can see that I'm writing to you because the letters are really, really big. And so maybe looking across the room, he couldn't tell. All he could see was a big white blob over there. Didn't know that it was the high priest. And that's why he calls him a whitewashed wall. And that's why he didn't know it was the high priest. Verse 6. And when Paul perceived that one part were Republicans and the other were Democrats. <laughs> you caught that. I'm glad you're following along. You're still with me. One part were Sadducees and the other were Pharisees. He cried out in the council, Brothers, I'm a Pharisee. A son of a Pharisee, with respect to the hope of the resurrection of the dead, I am on trial. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angels, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. You remember the Sadducees were the ones that were in charge of the temple. They were like the upper crust, the religious ultra, ultra elite. And they were, it appears to be, a lot like secularists. Like they didn't believe in the supernatural quite as much. And so they didn't believe in the angels or spirits or the resurrection. But the Pharisees did. And Paul says, I'm a Pharisee. And so I'm here because of the resurrection. Verse 9. Then a great clamor arose. And some of the scribes of the Pharisees party stood up and contended sharply. We find nothing wrong with this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? So they're not ready to acknowledge that maybe it was the resurrected Christ, but they're saying, well, maybe a spirit did talk to him. Maybe an angel did talk to him. Who are we to know? He seems like a good guy to us. He believes in the resurrection, unlike you guys. Verse 10. And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, like they already tried to beat him to death, Live on the spot in the street. Now Paul is in the center of this fight where one of, you know, they're pulling him in one direction, the other ones are pulling him. In. I think they really were afraid he'd be torn to pieces or the Romans would have let her go a little bit longer. Torn to pieces by then, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away among them by force and bring him into the barracks. So the soldiers come in, they take Paul and bring him back to jail. Verse 11. The following night, so, so the first day, Paul had, they tried to beat him to death for being in the temple. The next day, he's in the center of this fight where he almost gets torn to pieces. 
Now it's nighttime. He's alone and he's in jail. I have to believe he's tired. I have to believe he's wounded. I have to believe he feels very, very alone. I have to believe he's wondering what is the plan? Why am I doing this? What is the purpose? Read verse 11. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. And when it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. Even when I was a kid reading this, I was like, okay, I can see not eating, but not drinking? Like, they mean it. They mean it right now. They're going to kill him, and they're going to kill him before the sun goes down. Like, we're going to kill him, and we're going to kill him quick got a bunch of hangry, thirsty guys after you, and it's, it's not good. Verse 13, there were more than 40 who made this conspiracy, and they went to the chief priests and the elders and said, we have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now, therefore, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you as though you were going to determine this case more exactly, and as we are ready to kill him before he comes near. Now, the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush and went and entered the barracks and told Paul. And Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. And he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul, the prisoner, called me over to ask you to bring this young man to you. He has something to say to you. And the tribune took him by the hand and going aside, asked him privately, What is it that you have to tell me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire somewhat more closely about him. Verse 21. But do not be persuaded by them, for more than 40 of their men are lying in ambush, ambush for him who have bound themselves by an oath neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for your consent. So the tribune dismissed the young man, charging him, tell no one that you have informed me of these things. And he called two of the centurions and said, get 200 soldiers and 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen and go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. It's going to be a show of force. Shock and awe will keep them safe. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Festus, the governor. And he wrote a letter to this effect. Claudius Lysus to His Excellency, the Governor Felix. Greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came upon them with the soldiers and rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman citizen. No flogging. No one ever thought about flogging. I just rescued him. And desiring to know the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council and found that he was being accused about questions of their law, but charged with nothing deserving death or imprisonment. Sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? And when it was disclosed to me 
that there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers um, also to state before you what they have against him. So the soldiers, according to the instructions, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. And the next day they returned to the barracks, letting the horsemen go on with him. When they had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they presented Paul before him. On reading the letter, he asked what province he was from and learned that he was from Cilicia. And he said, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrive. And he commanded him to be on guard in Herod's praetorium. All right. As we think about what the Apostle Paul went through and we talk about what you are going through, I'd like to do this especially from Acts chapter 23, verse 11. Let's read it again. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, I think that's so important that the Lord stood by him. We'll come back to that in a second. The Lord just didn't say, I'm with you. The Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. So we're to do a strong dose of gospel courage that comes from the good news about God. And the good news begins here in the first part of verse 11 when we read, The following night the Lord stood by him and said, Here's the thing. I don't know how alone you feel or why you feel alone, or maybe some of you don't feel alone. But some of you feel intensely alone. What you need to know is that the Lord is with you. And I believe from my study of Acts here that the Lord makes his presence felt in a way that is equal to what we're going through. So I'm going to turn there. You don't have to if you don't want to, but I'm just going to be there quick. I'm going to go back to Acts chapter 18. When the Apostle Paul is in Corinth and things are getting very difficult, the Apostle, uh, God shows up for Paul and says to him in a vision, verse 9, In a vision the Lord said to Paul one night, so the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have in this city many who are my people. So I think the difference is in Acts chapter 18, the Lord shows up in a vision because it's good news. No one will harm you. I am with you. Go on speaking. But now in chapter 23, it's really hard news. You're going to Rome. But just know, as you're going to Rome... I am with you. And so he stands next to him. Because he needs to know that the Lord is with him. That he is not, he is not alone. And I just, I just want you to know, this is not the last time the Lord does this for Paul. So in 2 Timothy, you can write that down and, and check it out later. I'm going to read it to you. If you can get there as fast as I can, great. If not, check it out later. 2 Timothy chapter, 16, or chapter 4, verse 16 says, At my first defense... So he's writing about a different imprisonment now. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me. Hey, hey, listen. Who's standing by Paul? The Lord. But he's, he's, talking, about, he's talking about people. He says, at my first defense, no one came to me to stand by me. Listen to this. Listen to these next four words. 
but all deserted me. Some of you have felt that. At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. Like they're afraid. Verse 17. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth and the Lord will rescue me from evil deeds, from every evil deed and bring me safely into the heavenly kingdom. Paul knew no matter where he was, no matter what he was going through, no matter who had abandoned him, no matter how alone he felt, he knew that the Lord was with him. And this is true for you. If you've trusted the Lord as your Savior, if you've surrendered to Him as Lord and said, please forgive me of my sins, I submit to you as Lord, He has come and dwelt you with His Holy Spirit, and He is with you. He is with you. I don't know why you feel alone. If it's because at your house it's cold and angry and there's lots of fighting, I don't know why you feel alone. I don't know if it's because your marriage is so difficult, so painful. I don't know why you feel alone. I don't know if it's because of what your kids are going through or what they're putting you through. I don't know why you feel alone. It may be you don't feel like there's anyone you can talk to about what you're going through. The Lord is with you. Take gospel courage. The Lord is with you. And you know that when we're afraid like that, we believe all kinds of, all kinds of lies. I mean, it's, it's not true that there's no one you can talk to about it. There's plenty of people here that have been through similar, similar things. But the reason for gospel courage here is that the Lord is with you. He is standing next to you. He has indwelt you with his Holy Spirit. Okay, so, so why should we take courage? Well, first, because the Lord is with you. Why should we take courage? Well, let's keep reading. Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Jesus is saying... There is a plan. Turns out there is a plan. Turns out that when Paul went to the temple on a mission of peace, and he's grabbed and drawn out of the temple and accused of inciting mayhem, and they try to beat him to death, that, in fact, was part of God's plan. At least God is redeeming that evil for good. There is a plan. Jesus is saying, you will go to Rome. You must go to Rome. And you think through, can, can you see God's hand in this passage? Can you? So, so, so they get Paul into the barracks, and they're like, okay, we're going to find out what's really going on. Stretch him out. 
we're going to flog him until he tells us the truth. And so they, they're strapping him down, and they're getting out the, the whips to flog him. And then what does Paul say? Do you remember? Can you do that to a Roman citizen? Hey, listen. God had planned for Paul's citizenship before Paul was born. God already knew Paul needed to be a citizen, so he arranged his birth. God has had this plan all along. And so Paul was spared the flogging. I mean, can you see God's hand in this passage? And so, so after Paul is called before the council and he declares his hope in the resurrection, and then the, the, the 40 Jewish men say, we're going to kill him. Even if we don't eat, even if we don't drink, we're not going to eat or drink, so we're super motivated to kill him. It's, it's our life or his. We're going to kill him. And then Paul's nephew hears about the plot. Can you see God's hand in that? That the nephew hears about the plot, the nephew somehow is able to communicate with Paul. Paul is somehow able to communicate with the centurions. The centurions somehow are able to communicate with the Roman in charge. And then they send Paul away. Can you see God's hand protecting Paul in that? And he goes up to Caesarea, and from Caesarea he'll go to Rome. God's plan has been there all along. Now, the, the, the tough thing for us to relate to about this because probably what you're saying is, well, that must be nice for Paul, but that's not how it is for me. God doesn't tell me exactly what the plan is for my life. He does tell you exactly what the plan is for your life. I want to read to you from Romans 8, 28. This is the plan for your life. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. You know, things like getting caught in the temple and getting beaten within an inch of your life. All things, all things work together for good. You know, things like getting stretched out and almost getting flogged. All things work together for good. You know, like having 40... 40 guys say, I'm not going to eat or drink until Paul is dead. All things work together for good. Like, well, what kind of good? Well, listen. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he may be the firstborn among many brothers. That's a way of saying that he picked you before you were born so that you would become like Jesus. And so everything that happens in your life, good or bad, everything that happens in your life, painful or pleasurable, everything that happens in your life, scary or encouraging, everything that happens in your life, that all happens to conform you to the image of his son to make you more and more like Jesus. That's his plan for your life. Verse 30. And those whom he... Ask yourself, as I read verse 30, who's in charge of this? Am I in charge of this, or is God in charge of this? 
And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Who's in charge of that, me or God? God is certainly in charge of that, and that is very good news. That God has a plan to call you, to predestine you, to justify you, and to glorify you. And he is so sure of it. He can talk of your glorification in the past tense. Because he's in charge. And he's called you. His plan is gloriously good. I know that. So take courage. Take courage because he is with you. Take courage because he has a good plan. He has a gloriously good plan and it will work. So as we as we are tempted to worry a lot about how long the virus will linger and how long we're going to live with this or as we're tempted to worry about the results of the election and how long it will take to know who's elected even. How long will it take to count all the ballots? How long will it take? What happens if this person gets elected or that person gets elected? What happens with the election? As we worry about the economy, as we worry about school, as we worry about sports, as we worry about when we'll be able to go back to the arts, when we worry about all the stuff that we worry about, there's so many unknowns, you just have to remember that he has a good plan and he knows where it's all going and that his plan is gloriously good those whom he called he also predestined those he predestined he also justified those he justified he also sanctified those he sanctified he also glorified he is utterly in charge He's moving all of it towards his good ends. Why should you take gospel courage? You should take gospel courage because he is with you. Why should you take gospel courage? You should take gospel courage because he has a good plan. And his plan will work. Why should you take gospel courage? Well, you should take gospel courage for mission, for testimony. This is not a sightseeing journey. Paul is going to Rome on mission. He is going to Rome to tell the Romans about Jesus. And so the Lord says, as he's standing next to him, take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. This, of course, is what Jesus said would happen. I mean, earlier in Acts, when Paul is converted, he says, I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake as he, as he testifies about me. I'd also like to read this to you from Luke 21. I don't have it up there on the screen, but I, I think I can find it quick here. In Luke chapter 21, verse 12, 
when Jesus is telling them how things are going to go after he leaves. He says, but before all this, they will lay their hands on you. Does that sound familiar to you? They'll lay their hands on you and persecute you and delivering you up to synagogues and prisons and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. That is what's happening. Paul is going to stand before Felix. He's going to stand before governors and kings and tribunes and to why? Verse 13. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Those are the words of Jesus. Luke 21, 12 and 13, if you want to look them up later. And this is how it goes. And so, so we shouldn't be shocked that, that Jesus, though, would, would ask us or have us go through hard things as we bear testimony about him. So, so think of this. Here's the Apostle Paul, almost beaten to death. The Romans saved his life. Almost beaten to death. Dragged up to the fortress Antonia, standing over them. And remember what he says in chapter 22, verse 1. Did you write it down? What does he say to them? Brothers and fathers. He insists, he insists on loving his enemies. And it reminds us of while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so Paul's suffering and his love for them, for the people that are causing his suffering, adds weight and credibility to his testimony. So as he loves his enemies, he's bearing witness to someone who died loving his enemies. As he's telling them, Jesus died for your sins, he almost dies because of their sins. You see how Paul's suffering would help them understand Jesus and Jesus' death for our sins. So as Paul is stretched out to be flogged, and Paul says, hey, can you do this to a Roman citizen? And they're like, oh, no, we can't do that to a Roman citizen. Well, who wasn't a Roman citizen? Who did get flogged? Jesus. Jesus was Jesus was flogged, like the flogging Paul avoided. As Paul is almost handed over to the will of people, will of the people, they're shouting, away with him, away with him. Let's rid him from the earth. Remember, they chanted in front of Jesus, away with him, crucify him. And they're like, okay, so they hand Jesus over. Paul's life testified to Jesus' life. When you and I are suffering, when we suffer well and when we love well while we're suffering, it testifies, it points towards Jesus' suffering. So the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Remember that he is with you. Remember that he loves you. Remember who you are. As you imitate him, because in imitating him, you will bear witness to him. Verse 2, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. 
your sacrificial love will bear witness to God's sacrificial love. Stay on mission because this is why God gives us courage. God gives us courage for this testimony or for this witness. This is the same word. This testimony and witness are the same Greek word translated two different ways. This is why God gives us courage so that we can imitate him. And as we imitate him while we're in pain, it will add weight and credibility to our testimony. Can I just say, it is a mark of maturity to imitate Jesus while we're suffering. A lot of times when we're, when we're suffering, we're the least like Jesus. We're the most prone to complaint and self-pity. Take courage for witness. This is the purpose for witness. So as I said, there's, there's one thing I want for you. It's, it's courage. And so if I could assign homework that you could help have this courage throughout this week. Here's, I'd want you to read something and I'd want you to write something. I know you're like, dude, I will never do that. Okay. I, I believe you. But, but humor me here. And just, just stick with me just for a second. Okay. So if, if you feel super alone, I'd want you to read Acts 23.11, which is the verse we just spent the whole time on. And 2 Timothy 4, 16 through 18. That's, that's the verse I read where the apostles said, Everyone else abandoned me, but Jesus stood with me. Remember that? I want you to read that, and then I want you to write, Lord, help me remember that you are standing by me as I face. I want you to write in what you're facing, what you're going through. you do that a couple times this week read those passages and write down lord help me remember that you are standing by me as i face and then write down what you're facing second for those of you who need to remember that he has a good plan you might read Acts 23.11. You must go to, go to Rome. And you know Paul makes it to Rome, right? If you get to Acts chapter 28, you can see him make it to Rome and thank God and take courage. And you might write down Romans 8.28 through 30, which is the one I, I read to you earlier. And you might write this. Lord... Help me remember that your sure plan is gloriously good when I feel compelled to worry about whatever it is you feel compelled to worry about. Lord, help me remember that your sure plan is gloriously good. And you can see God's sure plan that is gloriously good in Romans 8. Finally, Acts 23, 11 and Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Lord, help me bear witness to your suffering when I am suffering from. 
This, I think, is what you want. I think you want there to be a purpose in your suffering. I think you want it to go somewhere. I think you, got, you want God to do something with it. it. Your suffering shouldn't be wasted. Your suffering shouldn't be a pit. It should be a platform. It can be a platform if you suffer well and if you point others towards Christ. This is what you want. You want the courage that comes from knowing that God has a bigger purpose in this. That God has a bigger plan in this. And you want the courage that comes from knowing that you are not alone. Let me pray. And now, Lord, I pray that you give each of us a strong dose of courage. Lord, pull us towards yourself. Lord, as we read this verse over and over this week, as we read these other verses, as we pray these things, Lord, give us courage. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.